0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading.
1: All right, here we go. The Apostle Paul writing to Titus in chapter 1, he said, I left you on the island of Crete. So that you can set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. He went on to say these elders are going to be overseers, bishops, overseers. And one of the things that they're going to set in order is they're going to exhort people to get into alignment, to speak right, to behave right and such. Not talking about the world, but talking about the people in the faith, in the family of God, in the church. Churches, the various cities. And so he said, not only are are these bishops, these elders needing to exhort, but also to convict and confront. And he even went on to say that some are going to need to be rebuked sharply and that their mouths must be stopped. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And to allow people to speak death and wrong in the church destroys And so this is why we need biblical elders. We often call them pastors today. Usually we'll call them pastors today, but sometimes we do call them elders. And sometimes in certain uh, church families, they call certain ones bishop and such. And uh, that's good that those are biblical terms. Well, let's look at chapter two now. He's still talking to Titus about these things. And he's talking about these people that are in insubordination, who are disobedient and such. He goes on in chapter two, verse one to say, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. They may be speaking wrong, but you, Titus, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine, sound belief, sound teaching, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate. In other words, they're self-controlled, they're They're keeping their carnal cravings under uh, under wraps in check, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So let's just unpack this for a little bit, because he first addresses Titus and said, Titus, you keep your words in alignment. You speak the right words. Don't let people get Get to you emotionally to where you just begin to fly off the handle and you begin to respond in uh, anger or frustration or fear. No, but you make sure that your words align to proper and sound doctrine. And then he starts talking about the older men and then the older ladies. He said, The older men, verse 2, the older men be sober, be like level headed, be reverent. He said, Older men cannot become cynical. See, often older men will go one of two ways. They'll become cynical because they're discouraged. They they don't see their dreams coming to pass. They don't see their vision, their life vision coming to pass. And they'll become cynical, disillusioned. And so he said, no, the older men should be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. In other words, the older men should be living a godly life and not be just uh, off the cuff and crude and rude and and such, like some older men can become and get away with it because they're older. And Paul tells Titus, no, that's not the way older men in the body of Christ should be. And then verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. In other words, not putting people down, not gossiping about people, not being critical of other people. And it goes on to say, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, talking about their lifestyle. They're not doing things that other people are doing in the world. Teachers of good things. The older women. Notice uh, Paul here says the older women are teachers of good things, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands. In other words, that they don't teach their young woman, well, here's what you got to do to work with your husbands, you know, do this and that, make them think that, you know, they're in charge, but really you're getting your way and such. And some of that is the world's way of approaching these things. And it even gets passed on and people joke about it, but they actually do it. And Paul is saying, no, that's not, that's not the right way. They should teach the younger women to love their husbands to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, uh, good, obedient to their own husbands. Now, this is not talking about to the extreme where they become a slave to the husband. Certainly not, because Paul addresses in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands need to lay their lives down for their wives as Christ did for the church. But still, he's addressing some behavior, some attitude and such. And he's saying the older women ought to be speaking truth and not just speaking the way that they have coped and psychology approaches, uh, uh, things that would be from the world's philosophies. He's saying, no, it needs to be according to the word of God, needs to be according to the truth of God. And so he goes on to say, the reason is because that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So in other words, if God's word says to do it a certain way, but the men and the women in the church are not doing it that way, then people will make fun and say, oh, yeah, like you're really doing it that way. You're preaching to us like we ought to serve God. You're not even doing what the Bible says. So he says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Verse six, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things, showing yourself, talking to Titus, to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, that's teaching, beliefs and such, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. So he's telling Titus, Titus, walk in such a way with such purity and righteousness, integrity, reverence and such, so that anybody that is opposed to you and begins to speak against you, they'll end up being ashamed because everybody can see that they're in the wrong because you continue to conduct yourself with integrity and with reverence and patience and so on. And eventually it'll be exposed who's right and who's wrong. Verse 9, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own master. So a bond servant is one that is Willingly committed to be a lifelong servant to his master or her master, and it says, "Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their masters, to be well pleasing in all things, not answering back, not what what we'd call talking back, not talking back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. Fidelity is that commitment that I'm loyal." To my master, all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Notice, adorn the doctrine. Adorn the doctrine. What does that mean? Well, the doctrine is the doctrine, the way that God's word teaches us to live. Bondservants to be obedient to their masters. Masters, Paul says in Ephesians, masters, treat your servants right, knowing that you have a master yourself, right? So he says, When you behave this way, when you have this attitude, well, that is according to the doctrine, but you're adorning, like you're putting a necklace on the doctrine. You're making the doctrine appear good, appear beautiful, instead of uh, making the doctrine appear unreasonable. And some people do this by the way they talk, and they say, well, yeah, yeah, husbands have to do this, wives have to do this, servants have to do this, masters have to do this. And they talk about it as if God's word is less than adequate, less than appropriate, less than right, less than enjoyable. But the Bible says, no, when you really live the way that you're supposed to live and you have the right attitude and you're thankful to God for teaching you how to live right and to have the right attitude, what you're doing is your behavior and your attitude become a necklace, become a crown, become a ring, become adornment. On the doctrine so that when people look at the doctrine, they look at your life, they say, you know what? I see how it works. I see how beautiful that doctrine is. I see how beautiful the ways of the the Lord are, as opposed to how frustrating they are. See, a bunch of do's and don'ts and such. Can you see this? See, this is so important. And so he says, doing this, then we adorn We adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Verse 11, for the grace of God, I love this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Just that one verse right there is profound. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Well, you know, in Psalm 19 and also Romans chapter 1, the Bible in essence says, hey, any human being on earth is without excuse because just nature, just the creation, day unto day, utter speech, Psalm 19 says, and night unto night. Uh, exude knowledge and so just looking out at this planet looking out at the beauty looking out at nature looking at the whole cycle of things all everything is so beautiful so perfect you know the the earth rotating on its axis you know every 24 hours orbiting around the sun once a year you know everything in precision and such the the bible says no people are without excuse you have to be taught that there's not a god. You have to buy into the lie that there's not a God. And so the Bible really says they're without excuse. They should be able to look out there and know in their heart, oh, this has to be created and open up to God and invite him to come in. And here it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So in other words, when we go preach the gospel, it may be the first time that they've ever heard the name of Jesus But it's not the first time that they've ever considered a higher power or a creator. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So the grace of God has appeared to all men, the grace of God that brings salvation, teaching us. So it's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So God is not just communicating there is a higher power out there. There is an intelligent designer out there. No, it goes beyond that. People have a knowing in their heart that there is a right and there is a wrong and that they should be living right and not wrong. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice it calls him our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not only the Son of God, he's also God. God is three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God. And so it says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself. Yes, Father God's gave his beloved son, no doubt. But notice Jesus gave himself who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, you have some people that take grace to the extreme and think, well, we don't have to feel guilty for our sins anymore because the grace of God takes care of it. We're saved not by works, but we're saved by grace. And so don't worry about your sin. God's already taken care of sin. It's a done deal. And in essence, is saying you can continue to sin because the grace of God has come. But I want you to notice the Bible doesn't read like that. You can take a verse here and a verse there, but but you'd have to ignore so many passages of the Bible. And here's one of these passages that you would have to ignore. Look Look again at verse 14. Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Not just that he might forgive us from the lawless deeds, no, but that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's the bride of Christ that he's cleansing with the washing of water of the word. Those blemishes, spots, and wrinkles that he's washing away with his spoken word, that that's not something on the skin. That's something in our lives. And so when you get born again by the grace of God, that grace is not just to forgive you, but that grace is also to empower you to now live righteously, to be obedient to God and to be honoring of God. So it goes on to say in verse 15, speak these things, exhort. In other words, make sure you don't just let that hyper grace (laughs) message run rampant and people are actually living in sin. Uh, And saying it's because of the grace of God. He said, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So he's emboldening Titus here. And he's saying, Titus, you're going to have to confront these things. And you're going to have to exhort, but you're also going to have to, uh, you're going to have to rebuke with all authority. Don't you back down on this. Why? Deadly. It's a deadly doctrine. It's the doctrine of demons. So thank God for his grace. But thank God also that his grace empowers us to live and to walk in obedience to God. So he said, let no one despise you. So in other words, don't just let it go if people are opposed to you and such and not go and continue to communicate with them to get everybody on the same page. It takes work and it takes time sometimes. But he said, let no one despise you. You go, and of course it, it requires humility, kindness, patience, and such, but win them over, win them over. Get everybody into unity on these things, because these are the true doctrines of God. Well, all right, that's Titus chapter 2, such a good, good little chapter, and I look forward to Titus 3 tomorrow.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.